Allah says, فِيهِ آيَاتٌ بَيِّنَاتٌ In it are clear signs. Meaning in Bakkah, there are clear signs. Clear evidences of what? That this place is full of blessing. That this place is full of guidance. That this is a special place. It's not an ordinary place. In it are ayat bayinat. And what are these ayat bayinat clear signs? It primarily refers to the manasik, the rituals. And it refers to the mawadir of those manasik, meaning the places of those rituals. So the manasik, for example, tawaf, sa'i, rami, the stay at Mina, the stay at Arafah. All of these are what? The rituals. And secondly, the places of those rituals. What are those places where the rituals are performed? Kaaba, Safa Marwa, right? Likewise, Maqam Ibrahim. Likewise, Mina, Arafah, Muzdalifah, right? So, fihi ayatum bayinat. In it are clear signs, clear evidences that show that this is a special place. It's not an ordinary place. This is a source of guidance. It's a place that is mubarak. And also if you think about it, in Mecca, you feel such peace, such security that you don't feel anywhere else in the world. At 3 o'clock in the morning, you can get up and go and do tawaf. Alone even, as a woman. Really, you can. And you will not feel threatened. You will not feel unsafe. You won't. It's a place that is different. Anywhere else in the world, you can't do that. You can't. At 3 o'clock in the morning, at 3 a.m., you cannot get up, go out of your hotel room and walk 5 miles or 2 miles or 1 mile, whatever it may be, and just go around you know, a mall or what and come back home safe and sound. It's impossible. But in Mecca, you can do that. Likewise, we see that how people may be sick and when they go there, they do Umrah, they do Hajj, and then all of a sudden, they're feeling much healthier. Physically, they're feeling much healthier. So these are ayat bayinat. And we see that it's busy throughout the year. People go there throughout the year. And if a person goes once, he wants to go again and again. Ayatun bayinat. But especially maqamu Ibrahim, the standing place of Ibrahim salam. What is maqam? The spot of qiyam. From qaf wawmim, qama yaqumu. To stand. So in it is the place of standing of who? Ibrahim a.s. What is maqam Ibrahim? There are two meanings of this. The first meaning is the places where Ibrahim a.s. stood and worshipped Allah, meaning he performed the rituals. So for example, the place where he prayed, the place where he attempted to slaughter his son at the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that was replaced by an animal, Likewise, the place where he hit pebbles at shaitan. Okay? These are all maqam Ibrahim. The second meaning of maqam Ibrahim, which is stronger, is the place where Ibrahim stood in order to construct the Kaaba. And what was that? It was a stone on which he stood. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appreciated his effort so much that his footprints, imagine footprints were preserved on stone. Typically, you leave footprints on what? On snow, on sand, on mud. Right? You don't leave it on stone. You don't. But we see that Ibrahim, his footprints are there on the stone and they're there till today. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appreciated that effort of his so much. So in it are clear signs and especially the maqam of Ibrahim a.s. That is also a sign. Imagine 4,000 years have passed by. Still it is preserved. And people have touched it. And it's been exposed to harsh weather. But still it is preserved. وَمَنْ دَخَلَهُ And whoever enters it, كَانَ آمِنًا Becomes safe. Meaning whoever enters Makkah, becomes safe. آمِن From Aman, Hamza Mim Noon. In what sense? Safe in what sense? Meaning from worldly harms. No one can harm him. No one can threaten him. No one can hurt him. وَمَنْ دَخَلَهُ كَانَ آمِنًا which is why we see that Hassan al-Basri, he said, during the time of Jahiliyyah, a man would commit murder, then wear a piece of wool around his neck and enter the haram. And even when the son of the murdered person would meet him, he would not make a move against him until he left the haram. So even a criminal, if he enters the haram, he becomes safe. But remember, if a person commits a crime in the haram, then he is not safe. He is punished in the haram. But whoever enters it, then he is safe. This is why the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah, not the people, made Makkah a sanctuary. Allah made Makkah a sanctuary, not the people. Therefore, anybody who has belief in Allah in the last day should neither shed blood in it, nor cut down its trees. So after mentioning the great virtues of the city of Makkah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us what we're supposed to do there. Don't just be proud of having gone to Makkah. Don't just... Be happy about the fact that there's such a nice place in the world, such a nice peaceful place in the world that exists. No, you're supposed to do something dirty. And what is that? Hajj. This is why Allah says, وَلِلَّهِ And for Allah. Meaning it is the right of Allah. It is an obligation on the people, a right of Allah. وَلِلَّهِ It is the right of Allah عَلَى nas, An obligation on the people, a duty on people. So in other words, it is the duty of people towards who? Towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That all people must do this for Allah. And if they do not do it, then they are not giving Allah His right. وَلِلَّهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ What is the right of Allah? حِجُّ الْبَيْتِ That people must do hijj of the bayt. Hijj, same root as hajj. Hajj, hajim ji means to intend, to aim at. And over here it means that all people must intend, meaning must undertake the journey. To what? To al-bayt, to the house. And this is the right of Allah. All people must go to al-bayt. Why should they go to the house of Allah? It's a nice break. It's a nice vacation. Yeah? Is that so? Why should they go to the house of Allah? Why Hijjul Bayt? To perform the pilgrimage. So Hijjul Bayt is not just to intend to go to the house, but it is to intend to go to the house and go there to perform certain rituals at certain times. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very just. He knows that some people are capable and others are not. This is why he says, Man, whoever istata'a was able ilayhi to it sabila away. Meaning, whoever is able to find a way to Makkah, 
to the house of Allah, whoever is able to undertake that journey, then he has to go. He must go. He doesn't have a choice. It's the right of Allah and obligation on the people. Now when it comes to people, people are of two types. Some are mustatir, meaning they are capable, and others are غير mustatir. They are not capable. And istatara, mustatir, is from the root letters. Tawawain. Tawar is to obey, and istatara is to have the ability to obey. So some are capable, some have the ability, and others do not. Now, what kind of ability do you need to perform hajj? Financial? as well as physical. Right? So this is istita'atul mal wal badan. That a person is physically able to go and he can also afford the journey. He has the means as well. He can also get there. Alright? And when it comes to ability, it can be understood another way as well. That a person has qudra. That a person has the strength to go there. What kind of qudra? Qudra that is hisiyya as well as shari'iyya. Hisiya meaning physical strength he has. And this includes money as well as physical ability. That a person is healthy and he also can afford the trip. Alright? But there is another kind of qudra that he must have. That is shari'iyya. So for example, if there is a woman, she's physically fit, she can definitely do the hajj, she can definitely you know, take that long trip, even if she lives in North America. Okay. Even in that case, she is able to take the journey, she can afford it, she has the money. But if she doesn't have a mahram, she doesn't have a mahram, can she go then? No. Is she obligated? No. She is of those who are not able to go for hajj. Alright? So, manistata'a ilayhi sabila means those who are capable, those who are able to perform the hajj. Physically, financially, they're able to do it. Woman kafara, and whoever disbelieves, whoever rejects, meaning he is able to go for hajj, but he doesn't bother, he keeps delaying. Woman kafara, whoever does kufr, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَنِيٌّ Then indeed Allah is rich, alameen from the worlds, meaning He is free of need. Ghina is what? To have so much that you don't need another. So Allah is ghani. He is free of need of the people worshipping him. He doesn't need the people to worship him. He doesn't need people to go for hajj. He is ghani anil alameen. So if someone goes for hajj, who is he benefiting? Himself. Yes, it's the right of Allah, but who is he benefiting? Himself. And if someone decides not to go, then who is he harming? Himself. When it comes to people, if you give someone his right, then he benefits. And if you deprive him of his right, then he suffers. But Allah does not suffer if people don't give him his right. Let's listen to the recitation and then we'll discuss the lessons. Inna awwala بَيِّنَاتٌ مَقَامُ إِبْرَاهِيمَ 
وَمَن دَخَلَهُ كَانَ آمِنًا وَلِلَّهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ حِجُّ الْبَيْتِ مَنِ اسْتَطَاعَ إِلَيْهِ سَبِيلًا وَمَن كَفَرَ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَنِيٌّ عَنِ الْعَالَمِينَ All of the prophets after Ibrahim a.s. they came or they were raised in and around the place which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed, which is Jerusalem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an describing that place, الَّذِي بَارَكْنَا حَوْلَهُ Whose surrounding area we have blessed. So that place is also Mubarak. But we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he was not from Jerusalem. He was not from Philistine. Where was he from? From Mecca. So the Yehud had this objection too, that if you claim to be a Prophet, then how come you're from this place? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, about the great virtue of the city of Makkah from which the Prophet ﷺ was. That this place is also Mubarak. Just because he is not from Jerusalem does not mean he is not a messenger. No, Makkah is also Mubarak. So we see that in all of these verses, primarily the objections are being answered, their criticism, their claims are being refuted, and at the same time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching us. Now, Remember that the first house built for the worship of people was the one that is in Mecca. Which one was the second? Or the second big one? I'm not talking about any masjid, but the second major place where all people were to travel and come there for the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which place was that? The one in Jerusalem, Baytul Maqdis. The third one. The masjid of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. In a hadith we learned that there are three masajid for which people are to travel to and worship Allah there. Alright? Three masajid. And which ones are they? These three. So a person should not undertake a journey to go and worship in a mosque or in a shrine that is other than these three. Shrine, you're not supposed to go there anyway. Okay? But these three, you're supposed to travel to. Then we also learn from these verses that the older a masjid is, the higher its rank is. The more special it is. Then we also learn in these verses about the city of Makkah, that of its characteristics is that it is Mubarak, it is a source of guidance, and that it is a place that is peaceful. So when we go to the house of Allah, when we go to Makkah, then we have to be peaceful. And by extension, this means that when we visit a masjid, any house of worship, any house of remembering Allah, then again, we have to be peaceful individuals. Which means that we don't hurt anyone, we don't harm anyone, we do not disturb anyone. Whether it is by our loud voices, or it is by our rude behavior or it is by our harsh way of walking and pushing into and bumping into other people, we should avoid all of these things. Why? Because a masjid is a place where people come to worship Allah and we should not disturb them. And it does not befit a believer that he would harass the one who is worshiping. You know, once the Prophet ﷺ was performing the salah by the Kaaba and Abu Jahl and his companions, they were watching him pray. And one of them, he said, 
that who's gonna go and bring the uterus, the womb of that camel which has been slaughtered by so and so tribe. And one of them, he got up and he brought it. And when the Prophet ﷺ went down into sajda, he put it on his back between his shoulders. And they were laughing, laughing, having so much fun. They were falling on each other. And then Fatima ﷺ, she came and she removed all of that. And the Prophet ﷺ, as he got up from sajda, in the tashahud position, he prayed against the Quraysh. He said, Allahumma alayka bil Quraysh. Oh Allah, you deal with these people. I leave them to you. And then he prayed against every single one of those people who did this against him. Why? Because what they did was so bad that someone who is praying is in the state of worshipping Allah. He is harassed. So likewise, we should stay away from such behavior of hurting those people who are worshipping Allah. You know, just respect the fact that this person is here to study the Qur'an, I should not hurt them. Respect the fact that this person is here to worship Allah and I should not hurt them, I should not harass them in any way. In a situation where nobody cares about any other person. Okay, so for example, everybody's walking together, everybody's running together, everybody's pushing, so what are you supposed to do? Push and shove until you find your way? No. You can't. You can't do that. So for example, if you go to Medina, you want to go pray at Riyadhul Jannah, and all the women are running and pulling each other's scarves and whatever. So what should you do? Do the same? Because otherwise you cannot get inside? No. Because we have to observe Aman even if other people are not. Because each person is going to be questioned about what he does. So you cannot hurt anyone. You know, the two sons of Adam salam, when one of them said that I'm going to kill you, what did the other say? That if you try to kill me, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not even going to attempt to kill you. So we should not even attempt to harm someone else. Be peaceful. And keep making dua that oh Allah, you make a way for me, you make a way for me, and Allah will make a way for you. One of the best things that you can do is that get behind someone who's going in a wheelchair. But be peaceful. Wait, it's okay. Ask Allah. You can only worship Allah when He facilitates that for you, when He gives you tawfiq. So if He gives you tawfiq, you'll do it. And if He doesn't, then ask Allah again. But don't harm others in that process. Then we also learn in these ayat about the obligation of hajj on those who are able. Which means that if someone can afford to go for hajj, then what should they do? Go right away. Go immediately. Do not delay. You know, some scholars have said that if a person is physically able to take the journey, which means that he is physically capable of walking all the way to Makkah, okay, and you're talking about obviously not from North America, but from a nearby place, if someone is able to, then he has to. If he cannot afford a camel, but he can walk, then he has to walk. This is how important Hajj is. Because what does Allah say over here? Woman kafara. Whoever does kufr, which is why some scholars have said that if a person does not do hajj when he is able to, and he dies in that state, then it's as though he died as a disbeliever. Because in a hadith we learn that whoever can afford hajj but did not perform it, there is no difference in his case if he dies while Jew or Christian. Meaning Allah doesn't care about him. Because walillahi ala nas, it's the right of Allah. And if someone does not give Allah his right, then... Allah doesn't care about that person. 
Likewise, in a hadith, we learned that bunya al-islamu ala khams. Islam has five pillars. And one of them is what? Hajj. So if someone is capable, then he has to perform hajj immediately. Can I ask a question? Who goes to America for shopping? Who crosses the border to go shop? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? A friend of mine used to live in Niagara Falls and she used to say that we used to go grocery shopping even to the States because it was much cheaper and much better, more variety. Something people do and they go again and again, right? And they go again and again, every summer, every March break, every winter break, they say, let's go shop, right? Because the deals are better, the variety is much more, right? You get much better things for less price and you take all the tags off and then you come back, you won't have to pay any taxes. Here you have to pay so many taxes, over there no taxes. You know what I'm talking about, right? You can get more with less money. So go again and again. Makkah is a place that is Mubarak, where you can get many benefits, one after the other. This is why we should go for Hajj, for Umrah, not just once in our lifetimes, but again and again. Unfortunately, some of us think that if we have done Hajj once, we don't have to go ever again. Or if we have gone for Umrah once, we don't have to go again. No. Going for Umrah, Going for Hajj is so beneficial. You know, Umrah to Umrah is a source of kafara for the sins that were committed in between. When a person does Umrah after that, he comes back home, commits some sins, doesn't even realize, and he goes back for Umrah, then all the sins that were committed in the middle, inshallah, forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Going for Umrah again and again is a source of barakah and rizq. There are many ahadiths which tell us about the benefit of performing hajj, performing umrah again and again. There's so much reward. But unfortunately, we don't think about it much. We will think about, you know, getting a bigger house or getting a better car or renovating our house and one thing after the other. But unfortunately, this is something that is neglected a lot. This is something that is neglected. And we think that we can only go for Umrah if we have this much money and only when we can afford the best trip, whatever. But even with less money, it's okay. It's okay if you cannot have the most luxurious Umrah. It's only a matter of a few days. But at least go and have your sins forgiven. At least go and experience the sweetness of faith. At least go and focus on worshipping Allah. Come on, at home you have to shop, you have to cook, you have to clean, you have to iron, you have to do laundry. One thing after the other. You can never have khushur. At least go there, spend a few days, dedicate them to your Lord, and come back refreshed. If someone has ever gone for Hajj Umrah, then you know, it's as though the body comes back, but the heart stays there. Right? You keep longing to go back. You keep desiring to take that journey again and again. So there are many blessings that a person gets over there. This is the reason why he'd want to go. I mean, is there any casino over there that you can go and have fun? Like people wish to go to casinos. May Allah protect us, but this is what happens in this world, right? Or people want to go to luxury hotels and shopping malls and an amusement park. There's an amusement park over there. There's hardly any place to walk. So why do people go there? For Allah, for deen. 
And that is the purpose of our lives. So when that purpose is fulfilled, you feel satisfied. You feel such happiness and joy that you cannot experience by eating the most delicious cheesecake ever. Seriously, you can't. Her sister, she said that when she saw the Kaaba, the feeling that she had, the first time she ever saw the Kaaba, that she's never experienced that ever again. I mean, it's unique feeling, unique joy and pleasure that you cannot get from anything else. So go there and go again and again. And every time you go, ask Allah to bring you back again. At least make the intention. You know, hijjul bayt, hijj is what? Intention. So at least make that intention, make up your mind that I am going to go for Umrah, I am going to go for Hajj. And oh Allah, you take me. That when you will make up your mind, when you will have that desire, then you start saving up a little bit even. Inshallah, Allah will put barakah in your money and you'll be able to go. I've heard of so many people who when they go for Hajj or Umrah, they say half my trip was covered for by so-and-so member of my family. My mom paid for my ticket. My dad did this. My uncle paid for our hotel. Everything gets covered somehow or the other. So it's Allah who does it. But you need to make that firm intention, that sincere desire, and Allah will bring you there. Allah will take you there. And there are many, many stories. Just recently, I met someone who was saying that she got married recently. She had a child and she said that she just came back from Hajj. And she said, we could not even think about going for Hajj given our financial condition. She said, my husband had to sell his car in order to pay for something. Not for Hajj, but for something else that came up. She said, we had hardly any money. She said, but somehow... I got money together. My mom told me, let's go for Hajj. We'll do something about it. She said, we applied for the visas. I got money together for my husband's ticket and my mom paid for mine. And she said, we went for Hajj. And everything else was taken care of. Yes, it wasn't the most easy Hajj. It was difficult. But even people who go in the most luxurious plans, even they suffer difficulty. Because Makkah is Makkah. It is Bakkah. Right? That you know, there's Baytul Ma'mur above the Kaaba in the heavens. Alright? And we learn about that from a hadith that every angel, okay, so many angels that Allah has created, there's so many of them, that one angel gets only one opportunity in his entire life to go and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over there. Only once. Because there are so many angels. But we get many opportunities again and again. Some people every year, some people every few years. So when you have that opportunity, seize it. Don't delay it. قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ Say, O people of the scripture, لِمَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ Why do you disbelieve in the signs of Allah, in the verses of Allah? وَاللَّهُ شَهِيدٌ عَلَى مَا تَعْمَلُونَ And Allah is a witness over whatever you do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed the people of the book directly. In ayah 70 we learned earlier, Ya أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ لِمَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَأَنْتُمْ تَشْهَدُونَ And over here, Allah says to the Prophet, that, O Prophet, you say to them, that Ya أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ لِمَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ Why do you reject the ayat of Allah? Which ayat are these? The shari ayat. The ayat that were revealed on Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Or the ayat that were in the Torah, Describing Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So why do you reject them? Meaning, why do you not believe in Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Why do you not believe in the Qur'an? Wallahu shaheedun and Allah is a witness. Ala ma ta'amaloon over whatever that you do. Meaning, 
all of these objections you're coming up with, these false claims, Allah knows what you're doing. Allah knows about your tactics. We know that the Bani Israel adopted many ways, the Ahlul Kitab, to not just avoid submission themselves, but also to lead others astray. So over here Allah questions them, then why? What's the purpose? What right do you have? Why don't you accept? And you know that Allah knows. Allah is a witness over your actions. And when Allah is a witness, then be afraid. Because Allah will hold you accountable. So what do we learn over here? That knowing that Allah knows is not enough. Knowing that Allah knows what I'm doing, this awareness alone is not sufficient. What is necessary? Change. Submission, obedience. If a person claims to love Allah, then he must prove it by obedience. You know, just as we all claim to love Allah, but we have to prove it by responding the call to hajj, by going for hajj. And when someone is sincere in that love, in that desire, then Allah will fulfill it for him. قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ Say, O people of the book, لِمَ تَصُدُّونَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Why do you stop people from the way of Allah? For which people do you stop? Man amana, those who have believed. The sudduna is from the root letter sud, sud, dal, dal, which is to stop someone. So you stop people from the religion of Allah. How do you stop? Directly and indirectly. Directly, by using your words. Okay? By literally telling people. Indirectly, by your tactics. Like for example, they came up with this plan that they would believe in the morning and by the end of the day they would disbelieve. So all of these things they were coming up with, they were basically trying to do what? Stop people from the way of Allah. Which people? Those who had believed. So Allah says, why do you stop people from the way of Allah? Those who have believed. And how did they stop people from the way of Allah? تَبْغُونَهَا عِوَجًا That you seek the deen, the way of Allah to be crooked. Tabghuna from Baghainya. And Iwaj from the root letters Ain Wawjim, which is crookedness. When something is not straight, when something is not as it should be, it is corrupted, it is demented, it is not right. So this is what Iwaj is. So you seek, meaning you want that the deen should be Iwaj. You want that the deen should be crooked. Meaning you want that people should not practice the deen as it should be practiced. They should not accept it, and they should not practice it the way it should be practiced. And how do you do that? By presenting the deen as iwaj. Okay? Now for example, if you say that something is good, very good, excellent, amazing, then what will people do? They will take it immediately. They will accept it immediately. But if you say, yeah, it's good, but the quality, I'm not sure about. Yeah, it's good, but I don't think I like the color. It's good, but it smells kind of funny. Then what will happen? What will people do? Will they take it or will they stay away from it? They will stay away from it. So likewise, the Ahlul Kitab, what would they do? They would find faults in the deen. They would come up with objections. They would criticize aspects of the deen. Why? So that the deen would look bad, so that the deen would not look right, and as a result, people would leave the deen. This was their goal. This was their focus. You know, just like children, if you don't want them to do something, what do you say? Dirty, not nice. 
right? Not good, leave it. If you tell them leave it, they won't listen. But if you tell them it's not good. You know, for example, my son, when he saw that everybody has pop, Sprite, okay? Or 7-Up, which according to him is something else, okay? I don't even know how he says it, I don't remember. But anyway, when he saw that everybody's having soda, he wanted it too. Because you see monkey do, right? Children, this is what they do. Whatever they see parents doing, whatever they see other people doing, they want to do the same thing. Now if I were to tell him don't drink it, he would want it, right? But I don't want him to start drinking soda so early in his life. So what I did was, I told him, it is spicy. Meaning, the pop, okay, the soda part of it, it is very strong. Strong for children, right? So I didn't know how to explain it to him, so I used the word spicy. I wasn't intending to lie over there, but I intended to tell him that it's not really that nice to drink. And he doesn't like strong tastes at all. He likes bland pasta, okay? He likes bland plain cheese pizza. That's what he likes. He likes bland rice. So when he found out that it has a strong flavor, he wasn't interested for a little while. Until one day, he accidentally had a sip or two. And he felt that that strong taste was actually nice. (laughs) So anyway, if you tell someone, no, don't do this, they are going to do it. But if you tell them that no, it's not nice, it's bad, then they will stay away from it. So likewise, the Ahlul Kitab, this is what they would do. They would present the deen as something crooked, something that's not good, something that's not suitable. And they would do this by raising objections, by criticizing. Does this happen today? Yes. It happens today a lot. For example, when it comes to the hudud, the punishments in Islam, people say, oh, so barbaric, so scary. Can you imagine? And you're like, yeah, it's mentioned in the Qur'an, seriously? Chop off the hand of the thief? Oh my God. People do this today too, right? Or they will say, see on the news, someone came in a hijab and they kidnapped a child. You know, this happened recently in the States, right? Somebody came wearing a Muslim veil and they kidnapped a child. The child was discovered somewhere in a park with only a shirt on in the cold, in the rain. And then the child said that there was a bird that was talking. So they searched the houses until they found that there was a house in which there was a bird. And there was a person over there who used to work in the daycare. So they had kidnapped the child. But they came wearing a hijab. Not a Muslim. Okay? So people will quote you such incidents. They will not tell you those incidents where a woman in hijab helped another person. A woman in hijab you know, did something so heroic. No, they won't say that. They will talk about incidents where something wrong happened. Why? Because they want to dissuade you from wearing hijab. This is exactly what Allah says, وَأَنْتُمْ شُهَدَاءٌ You are witnesses to its truthfulness, to the truthfulness of the deen. You know that it's right. You know it's from Allah. And many times we see that people, under the claim of being Muslim, right? they are Muslim, yet they will present the deen as iwaj. So likewise, the Ahlul Kitab, they were supposed to be very knowledgeable people, people of the scripture, yet they were the ones misrepresenting the deen. They were the ones showing the deen as very corrupted. Allah warns, وَمَا اللَّهُ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ Allah is not unaware of what you do. Allah is fully aware. Just because Allah doesn't punish you immediately, don't think you're right. 
just because those who do wrong can survive for some time, don't think it's okay. Allah is not unaware of what you do. He is fully aware. Recitation. قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ لِمَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ شَهِيدٌ عَلَى مَا تَعْمَلُونَ قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ لِمَ تَصُدُّونَ عَن سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ مَنْ آمَنَ تَبْغُونَهَا عِوَجًا وَأَنْتُمْ شُهَدَاءُ وَمَا اللَّهُ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ so this is the reason why Allah warns us that Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, O you who have believed, in tuti'u fariqan, if you obey a group, tuti'u from tawr, obedience, if you were to obey a group of who? Minalladina utul kitab, of those people who have been given the book. Meaning some people, from the people of the book, if you were to listen to them, if you were to do everything that they ask you to do, then what will happen? يَرُدُّوكُمْ بَعْدَ إِيمَانِكُمْ كَافِرِينَ They will turn you back after your iman as disbelievers. يَرُدُّوكُمْ from رَادَ الْدَالِ Meaning, if you listen to them, then you won't remain believers for very long. You won't even realize, and you will actually be committing kufr. Because these people, some of them, not all of them, but some of them, their goal is to lead you astray. And we have learned that earlier many times in the Qur'an. They don't like your Islam. They like you, but they don't like your Islam. And they want to lead you astray. So if you start listening to them, if you get trapped in their plans, in their traps, then what will happen? You won't even realize, and you will lose your faith. You will be out of the folds of Islam. And we see that many ways are adopted to lead Muslims astray. They were adopted at that time. They are adopted today too. Like for example, it is said that once a man came and he said some very fiery poetry, okay, which caused the Ansar, the tribes of Aus and Khazraj, to start arguing with one another. He basically said some poetry that reminded them of the past, of how they used to fight against each other. And the Aus and Khazraj, who were brothers, who had become so united after Islam came, it started with a verbal conflict, which almost led to a physical fight. And the Prophet ﷺ came and he resolved the situation over there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is warning the believers that be careful. Don't fall into their traps. Be alert, be conscious. Whatever they say, don't accept it. Whatever they tell you to do, don't do it. Use your mind. Filter everything they tell you. Be very careful about what they ask you to do. Because if you are not careful, you won't even realize that your Islam is gone. That you're hardly a Muslim. And sometimes people do this deliberately, that they want you to leave your Islam. But other times, people don't want that you should leave your faith. But just because they don't have the same faith as yours, they influence you so much that not out of a bad intention, but they influence you so much that you don't even realize and you're doing so many wrong things. For example, if you surround yourself with people who don't believe in Allah, who may be using words that Allah does not approve of, 
then you won't even realize and you'll be saying those words. I've seen Muslims saying at the time of anger, Jesus. What does that mean? You know what it means. What does it mean? Jesus. At the time of difficulty, calling upon Isa a.s. Right? Or showing your frustration in that way. Come on, you've seen people doing this? Perhaps you've done it yourself? Why? Because this is what you watch on television, this is what you hear people doing around you. Right? The way people dress, we start dressing up like them without even thinking that it may be wrong. The way people eat, we start eating like them without even thinking that it may be wrong. If somebody's drinking pop with their left hand, we start doing that too because everybody's doing that. Somebody's eating without saying Bismillah, we also start doing that. So we develop their habits too. Correct? I'm not saying that cut yourself off from the rest of the people. Don't ever speak to a non-Muslim, don't ever be with them, don't work, don't study, just keep yourself in a bubble. No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us to just be careful. Filter everything. Let me give you an example. This past week, a few days ago, was which day? Valentine's Day. Everybody is celebrating it. And you say, yeah, so what? Everybody's doing it. Christians, Hindus, Jews, everybody does it. So we should also do it. No. You're not going to imitate other people blindly. You're not going to do that. Because it's against your deen. It's something that's not allowed in your deen. So don't participate in these things. And it starts with one thing. One thing. And it leads to so many others. You know when the door to evil is opened up, then what happens? Much more evil comes in. So stop it right there. Be alert. Be careful. Living in this society at this time, you have to question everything. Why am I doing this? For what reason should I do it? Is it allowed? Is it not allowed? From the food that you eat, to the clothes that you wear, to the places that you go, to the activities that you do, everything, question it, be careful, filter it. Because if you don't, there will be hardly any Islam left in your life. And we learned earlier how valuable iman is. How valuable is it? It's more precious than the earth's fill of gold. So take care of your iman. That we become so, you can say, assimilated that we forget our own identity then. We are so much into, for instance, New Year's or Valentine's that when Eid comes, we have no idea. When is Ramadan coming? We don't know. But when is Valentine's Day? February 14th. When is Eid this year? How many of you know? When is Ramadan this year? We don't know. Right? So we forget our deen in imitating others. That it's sad that when you tell children that no, we Muslims don't do this, but they say, but so and so does it and so and so does it. So when we forget our principles, we make practicing deen difficult for ourselves and also for other people. Recitation? Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu in tuti'u fariqan minal ladhina utul kitaba yarudukum ba'da imanikum kafirin Actions who were before you span by span and cubit by cubit meaning inch by inch So much so that if they enter the hole of a creature, then you will also follow them. Meaning if they go astray, if they make a bad choice, then you will also make a bad choice. You will also go astray after them. 
For us, what's the criteria? What's our imam? Who is our leader? What is it that we have to follow? What Allah has revealed, what Allah has legislated, that is our goal, that is our target, not something else. And if we make our leaders something else, meaning if we start following that which contradicts the Qur'an and Sunnah, then if they go astray, we too will go astray. So the point of this ayah is not to instill hatred in our hearts against those people who are not Muslim, but rather the point of this ayah is that we become careful, we become conscious. Don't just say anything that other people are saying. Don't just do anything and everything that other people are doing. Don't dress the way they dress, eat what they eat, say what they say. No, you are a Muslim. And the Muslim is someone who is entirely submissive to Allah. On his apparent and internally as well. Externally and internally. In his personal day-to-day matters, as well as when it comes to rituals. I mean, you all just learned about fiqh, fiqh of tahara. And if you think about it, in fiqh of tahara, we learn about such small issues which we won't otherwise think about. I mean, how complete is our religion that even when it comes to the state of cleanliness, even when it comes to the color of your discharge, you have to be careful. It means either you pray or you don't pray. So a Muslim is someone who is entirely submissive to Allah. And this is the reason why we have to be careful when it comes to other people telling us about something that we should do or not do. Our standard is the Qur'an and Sunnah.